I'm Lara Land, somatic coach and yoga teacher trainer, and this is the Beyond Trauma podcast. What a couple of years we have had. The challenges continue to grow, and more and more of us are experiencing some level of traumatic stress. My commitment here is to bring you the most up-to-date insights on exactly how trauma affects our mind-body-spirit system and how we can work with our bodies to soften its impacts. You will be hearing from trauma survivors and researchers, and together, we are going to incorporate what they have to teach us to heal ourselves and promote the well-being of all those around us. Here we go. It's out! The Essential Guide to Trauma-Sensitive Yoga is now available everywhere books are sold. This is the book for every yoga teacher, studio, and practitioner who wants to incorporate an inclusive practice to yoga. It's available on my website, laraland.us, and everywhere books are sold. If you're loving this podcast, you are going to love this book. Hi, everyone, and welcome back. I'm excited as usual. You know, I really think about who I'm going to introduce you to and Today's guest, Deborah Dravesleg, she really stuck out to me in a, a course we did together where you're going to hear about it. Um, her energy, just unbelievable, striking, just beautiful soul. And she is on today to talk about a subject that just keeps coming up wherever I go. It is the new thing. Okay, it's not new, but it's new to me, um, which is equine therapy. People are working with horses to heal the impacts of trauma, and as Deborah explains in this episode, to establish boundaries, to understand what they're feeling inside. These horses can show us how we're feeling. Deborah works with the horses, works with quantum physics. We're going to talk about it all, and you are going to even get to witness using her quantum physics technique with me, and it's really quite powerful. So I know you're going to love this episode. A little bit about Deborah. She had a 30-year career in nursing and then in 2006 decided to leave the U.S. to go to Costa Rica. They took on a 26-acre dairy farm um, and started a retreat center. When they returned to the U.S. in 2020, they transitioned to New Horizons. And over the years, Deborah has facilitated many transformative retreats, forging meaningful connections with hundreds of individuals And of course, with the powerful, profound bonds of soulful horses, she has a passion for teaching that has driven her to share her insights and experiences at conferences, both as a registered nurse and as an equine practitioner. And she's been all over the world sharing her stories, even at this global audience at the Federation of Horses and Education and Therapy International Conference. She's co-instructed. And she is just a beautiful soul, like I said, imparting so much wisdom and positive change. I know you're going to love this and get so much from this episode. Here we go. Hello, hello, everyone. I am back today with a very special guest. I have to tell you, I have been hearing more and more about this equine therapy, working with horses, and I have been so curious about this. And then I just the magic of putting things out there and the way that the universe works. I was able to meet this 
beautiful human being, Deborah Draves Leg. Welcome. Thank you for taking some time to chat with me today. Well, hi, Laura. Thanks for having me. I'm always excited to talk about horses and how they can help us become better human beings. Mm. So I'm really happy to be here today, too. Before we dive in, let's just tell the people a little bit about how we met. So we're both certified death doulas now, right? Yeah, that was a, a class I was called to take, I guess, this year. And yeah, we ended up in the same class. And that was quite a quite an experience. What I remember of learning to incorporate all my coaching skills, actually, and I'm working with horses as well in the practice, but we were taken through our own death during the course, which I thought was so fascinating. And then we coached each other as we were through guided meditation being going through our own gestation of dying, which was very impactful for me, actually. You know, your story stuck out for me. I don't know how much you want to share, but you had a very strong vision of your body being taken out and there were horses involved. Uh-huh. Yeah. There was yeah, really I, go ahead. Tell me. <laughs> Do you forget it? <laughs> you might have been in a liminal space. You know, I but think you, so. Yeah. Yeah. You talked about how your body would be carried out and there was the, the horses would sort of circle it. Or there was a... Um, I had such a powerful vision. Um, I think there was a gazebo or some kind of circular building and some water and. Um, oh, some- yeah, 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 yeah. That's right. That's right. It was down by my pond. Uh huh. And um, by the pond here on the property, and the horses were, I'm, I think, we, yeah, we were supposed to design our deathbed. That's right. And um, yeah, it was incredible because it was like, it was really happening, but not in a scary way. Yeah. And the horses were like part of the process of my death as well as my life, I guess. Yeah. That vision really touched me. And it was, you know, our teacher was, was kind of pushing us to think out of the box and be creative. And, you know, it's your death, bring anything into it that you would want there. And the horses were so important and it stuck out for me. I wonder, were horses always an animal for you that called to relate to? Did you grow up with horses? No, I didn't grow up with horses and I really didn't. I read the books when I was a teenager, my friend Flicka and Misty. And I remember this one book I read, I think it was called Tall and Proud about a girl that she was a skier. I don't remember. She ended up in a wheelchair or something, but um, it was about horses too. But I, but I didn't have horses growing up. I always hoped that I would have them, but I never, my parents never, you know, we, it never went that far. And then as I got older, it didn't really occur to me to have horses, but, but then my husband and I, we sold everything in the States in 2006 and we moved to Costa Rica and bought a, a dairy farm, an old dairy farm, and we transformed it into a retreat center. Well, during that time, we needed horses actually to come and go from the property a lot of times because the road was so bad <laughs> that we needed horses to get in and out. And so then the horses, then people started to say, oh, well, you know, can the tourists wanted to ride horses. So I started having a riding program. We would take people to waterfalls and ride in the rainforest those kind of things. And that's where I started to learn about horses. And that in itself was a pretty interesting evolutionary process because my horses started to become 
like trail horses that sour wouldn't leave the barn, all those kind of things that you find with normal trail horses. And I started to investigate, well, why, what's going on? And, and then it never even had occurred to me that horses are prey animals and we're a predator. And so here, these horses have maybe 200 different predators jumping on their back every year that are afraid. Mm. And so then um, moved into like a more natural horsemanship style of working with the horses that worked for a while. And then even beyond that, um, started to uh, a guest, which this is really like out of the blue, one of my guests that came to the hotel, she handed me this book called um, Riding Between the Worlds by Linda Kohano. And she wasn't a horse person. She was just a random person staying at our place. And she said, something told me I'm supposed to give you this book. So I brought it to you. Wow. And she was from like Atlanta or something. And she wasn't even a horse person. It was just strange. She was a, a, a nurse, as, as a matter of fact. And so I'm like, okay, well, thanks. So I read this book, Riding Between the Worlds. And I realized, oh my God, this is a whole nother world of what is happening for me here with the horses, what I'm supposed to really understand. And right about that time, I also started working with the horses, with the local kids doing equine therapy for kids with some developmental disabilities. Mm. So, because the, I mean, they're fantastic horses and during the off season, I had time for those kind of things. So things just started evolving and growing at that, this little place in Costa Rica, ended up with 25 horses there. During the pandemic, actually, we came back to the States, we sold the hotel, and, and now I'm back in Virginia, working on some other projects back here, including our death doula course, I guess. So that's kind of the process of how horses ended up in my life. And you were you were a nurse for many years, and you're also a coach. Were you already a coach when the horses entered your life? No, uh-uh. no, I was a neonatal pediatric ICU nurse for 30 years. I went to this equine facilitated coaching course at Eponiquest with Linda Kohanov um, in the I don't know when that was like 2000 around 2010, I guess. And then have taken um, more coaching courses since since then, and with transformational presence, which is a, a coaching course based in quantum physics, actually. And I've kind of incorporated that, not kind of, I have incorporated that into the the equine part of my practice, which is a perfect fit, actually. Mm, I love that really melding some different modalities to work together and to serve your clients. So tell me, what is it about horses? Why horses? Well, one of my friends told me that she got into meditation, which I love. She got a message, why horses? And the why horses, somebody from above said, well, if you would have needed dragons, we would have sent dragons. (laughs) But I guess humans needed horses. Humans need horses. We've had horses help support our evolutionary process for the last 5,000 years. And horses have been on earth for 60 million years. So they have quite an evolutionary advantage over our 6 million years of evolution. I think they're here to partner with us to help us in our learning of how to be on earth and how to be an earthling. The horses, they're, they're not judgmental. They discern. So there's no right or wrong for a horse. Things just are or they're not. So when we work with a horse, there isn't this judgment kind of like, am I doing it right or wrong? Because when you're in the energy of the horse, the horse is like, yeah, I don't think so. Or perfect. That's exactly what we're looking for. And they mirror us. So 
the horses have a big electromagnetic field. Um, the HeartMath organization, I'm not sure if, if people are familiar with that, but it's an international organization that studies the electromagnetic energy that comes off of our heart. And horses have a big heart. They have a big field, uh, especially too, because they're prey animals. And within this energetic exchange, they mirror us because part of their capacity to survive is their keen instinct to understand our intention. So with this understanding intent, their life depends on that. Because if an animal, a prey animal in the wild is looking at the lions walking by, they're going to look at them energetically and feel, how do I feel when these lions are walking by? The zebras, for example. Am I afraid? No. Nope, I don't feel afraid. They're not hungry because they're just sensing it energetically. So they can save their resources for a time when they do have to protect themselves from being hunted by the lions. The only animals that hunt for fun in this world, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I think yeah. Yeah. <laughs> humans, humans and domestic cats. That's it. Mm. So when we look at the how things work in nature, it's a kind of a different way of living together than, than we can find in our human culture. So the horses are right they're, they're looking at us and as an energetic, first energetically, what is your intent? Because their life depends on that. And they're curious. They're curious. They're the more as prey animals, the more connected they are, the better chance of survival we all have. And the more diversity there is within a herd also, the better chance of survival we have. So it's in their nature to connect and create this um, sense of being part of their herd, because what do we bring to the herd that can also help their evolutionary um, process? So I think that's kind of the, the way nature has helped horses be part of, be part of our human life <laughs> while they're here. So what does it look like if someone is uh, suffering, has been through trauma or going through some transition and they think they might want to come to someone like you and, mm-hmm. and work with this coaching and the horses? I imagine people that you know don't have a lot of experience with horses might be like wondering, what does this look like? Do I ride the horse? Do I pet the horse? Right, right. So you don't need any horse experience at all. Used to be almost sometimes it's almost better not to have any horse experience because then there's no preconceived ideas. And so what it might look like is we go into the area where the horses are into a little arena and or even can be in the stall or in the barn, different places. We can look at so many a lot of the process is about emotion to start with. And horses, um, there have been some studies that show, like I said, within this electromagnetic energy, that horses can magnify the emotion that we have up to 60 times stronger. And so if I have this old anger, for example, that's festering inside of me from some reason or other that I haven't processed yet, the horse is going to say, well, you're preoccupied with that anger. Let's magnify the anger because how they process emotion is they feel the emotion And so you would feel anger, for example. And so, and you get the message behind the emotion. The message behind anger is a boundary has been crossed. Mm. And then then you ask the question, well, the horse doesn't do this methodically, but this is how we can can process it. But they respond to the message. And that is resetting a boundary, 
Like, for example, that's my food. <laughs> if a horse tries to take another horse's food, right? No, that's mine. Bam. You know, that's it. And then they're like, okay, well, there we go. And then they keep, then they stand next to each other and eat. So they're ready for the next moment to go on. If we're holding on to anger because we haven't reestablished a boundary that needs to be reset, we're the weak link in the herd because that festering is a vulnerability that a predator will find. Wow. Because we're distracted by that festering, right? And there's even, there's a photographer, um, I don't know if you've ever heard of her, Rosalind Fisher, and um, she photographed tears under a microscope and and in the different tears of our body look different under a microscope depending on the emotion that elicited those tears and so here we are we are just this emotion is information that is this cross-cultural cross-species way that we can connect with each other and um, also connect with other species so the horse picks up on the vulnerability mm-hmm. and how does the the horse help shift that weak link in the herd to right. have that better well, boundary? <laughs> <laughs> right. Okay. So, so I've had people like, okay, I'll tell you an example for me when I was just starting to learn this. So I was working in the arena with this horse named JR and I don't know, I was doing some, if I was training him or whatever, and we were doing just fine. And then one of my cooks for the restaurant, for the hotel, drove by and she was 15 minutes late. And like she had always been since I hired her, she was 15 minutes late for work. And it was really, I'm like, it's no big deal. It's Costa Rica. This has been going on for a couple months, right? And I, and then the horse just looks at me, his ears were like flat back. And I'm like, I know I'm mad. I know I'm pissed because I'm pretending not to be mad that she's always 15 minutes late for work. Uh, the horse is showing you what you really feel that you're right. <laughs> and, I'm like, and he was fine. We were just fine before that lady drove by. <laughs> and so I'm not going to take it personally that the horse is mad. He's like, no, I see you're mad. He doesn't speak English. He's speaking horse. And so I'm like, okay, all right. I just have to go up there and I have to reestablish my boundary. So I left him. I left him. I went up by the time clock where she was punching in. And I said, okay, um, whatever her name was, Mary, Maria whatever her name was, I said, I noticed that you're coming in 15 minutes late for work. And she said, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And she said, but my babysitter doesn't get off work until two. So I can't get up here till 2.15. And so I'm like thinking in my mind, why didn't she tell me this like a long time ago? Because now here she is carrying around all this guilt and shame. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's cultural as well. She should have told me even when she got hired, but she didn't because she really wanted the job and I'm like oh my god that's no problem no pro- don't worry about it and she goes really and I'm like no 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 problem at all so then thanks for telling me so then I went back to the horse and he's like okay here we go now where were we okay so if I kept holding that emotion in I would have eventually gotten mad at her and, and fired her for I don't know dropping a butter dish who knows right but- <laughs> yeah but instead I took the, 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 the cue from the horse saying, you're mad. And I'm like, no, I'm not. Yes, you are. No, I'm, yes, I am mad. <laughs> <laughs> I shouldn't be mad about it. It's not that big deal, but it's a really small kind of thing. Wow. And in so many ways, there's a big part of the process of working with horses is, is setting, starts out setting boundaries. I find a lot of people, if there's trauma in their life, that comes to the forefront in a way of learning how to set a boundary in a healthy way and not get attacked. Mm -hmm. 
So one of the biggest challenges that people that have childhood trauma face as a pediatric nurse in developmental, I used to do developmental um, follow-ups on kids at high risk for developmental delays as well, is when a child is traumatized, especially before the age of 10, by someone that should be protecting them, there's this physiological and neurological pathways are formed in a way that there isn't differentiation between setting a boundary and being prey, being killed, right? So a predatory, and let's say being predatory or being dominant, because the person that's supposed to protect you is attacking you. And if you fight for yourself, you're only going to get in more trouble, right? And so that's when people go or kids go into the individuals go into the other survival tactics, fight, flight, freeze in those survival tactics that we all know about. But when they really, what they need to do, and so these wires are fused. And then when the, a lot of my clients, and when they, when they're as adults, setting a boundary feels so uncomfortable and there's no positive reinforcement for that setting a boundary. And so what will happen is when you're working with the horse, the horse will be maybe get in their personal space and I'll say, make that horse back up. He's going to step on you, for example, not in a dangerous way, but the horse will just be like staring at him. And I'm like, I think you better ask the horse to back up. Oh no, I can't do that. Well, yes, you can. And such a simple thing of having a 1300 pound horse listen to you and back up Mm. is a huge thing for people to be listened to and have their space respected in a non-judgmental, just like, oh, okay. Because in the horse's mind, they're going to say, if you mean what you say and say what you mean, and then I can take a nap. <laughs> That's what they would be, right? Because if, if you want to be part of my herd, when, it, when it's my turn to take a nap, I need to know that you can protect yourself. If you can protect yourself, then you can watch over me. If you can't protect yourself, then I always will be watching over you. Yep. That's a, it's a very, it's such a simple thing, but it, it means so much to people to get that kind of respect in a positive way with positive reinforcement by the horse. And then energetically, what it feels like is this, like a pat on the back, good job by the horse. That's really, that's in a really large way. Mm. Yes. Mm-hmm. You're getting that positive reinforcement for yeah for stating and sticking to your boundary mm-hmm. and that becomes a new rewiring and a new pattern. Right, right. And experience is what caused this this trauma response. And the, really, I don't know, I feel personally from my experience, the only way to rewire that is with experience, is having yeah. that aha moment. Are there other signs that the horse gives? I know you talked about the ears and mm-hmm. so that was a reflection that you were angry Right. Are there other like signs that the horse gives that can tell us how the individual is actually feeling inside? Yeah. When we go from, when we're doing an exercise, doing some mind, whatever it happens to be, when the, the individual goes from a state of kind of not clarity to a state of clarity, the horse we see, and I call it, it's like an aha moment. Um, go, they'll lower their head, they lick and chew, and they might just walk right away. As soon as the, when the horse lowers their head, licks and chews and walks away, they're like, you got it. That was mm. what you, that's what you, that you had this aha moment. It's a really, a, it's a validation of the aha moment. <laughs> One time I asked my niece, my niece, I was working with her and she was working with the horse um, about something. And 
And I said, do you know what? A, she was like 10 or 11. I said, do you know what an aha moment is? And she goes, no. And I said, well, it's when you didn't understand and then you really understand something and you never will forget it for the rest of your life. And she, and then you go, aha. <laughs> and she said, okay. She thought about that. And then she goes, oh, it's like when you finally get the difference between 100 and 100th. Hmm. And you never can forget that again. And I'm like, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) And so, and so it's like that. And so when you work with a horse, you, and it's so experiential and it's at a cellular level that this happens. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So the person comes in and you mentioned mindfulness. Mm -hmm. Do you think you might explain a little bit about like what kind of exercises they might do in the presence of the horse? Well, they're, one practice that I've been really understanding in a lot deeper way um, since I've come and work, started working with my horses here in the United States is literally, actually, it is about how we hold these traumas and things at a cellular level. And maybe it's not so much about the story behind it, but it is about ourselves physiologically of what is happening. And I have two horses um, right now, Halsey and Reggie, a little mini named Reggie and Halsey. Halsey is a, came from some Mississippi horse trader. I don't know. She ended up here. And so there's, we don't really know the story, but she has, I don't know what they did to her, but she has a lot of, I've had to work with her quite a bit to get her to believe that I'm not going to kill her, basically, to tell you the truth. And the same with Reggie. Reggie, the Birmingham police found him tied up on the side of the road. For three days, he'd probably been there. And I'm like, oh, no problem. I've taken care of abused. I've had abused horses before over the years. I There's no problem to rehab those. Oh, yeah. That's a whole different ballgame here. So because whoever did this to these horses, whatever they did to them, it was intentional. They knew better. And so that kind of trauma is way different. And Reggie would watch me groom another horse and almost have like a nervous breakdown. His eyes, the whites of his eyes were just showing while I was touching another horse. He was sure I was going to kill the other horse. And it was, oh my God, you can't, Laura, it was, I never had experienced anything like that and um, saw so much trauma. And then he got to the point where I don't even, he would be like, I don't even know why I'm acting like this. And she would too, because other horses would be fine. And they would just look at me like, they didn't even know. And they were sure there was bad guys in the woods. They were sure. And they would be hyper-sentinel, hyper-watching out for these bad guys that are going to come and do whatever they whatever they felt was going to happen to them. And so, but these two now, these two horses are have taught me that let's look at the energy that is stuck inside of them. And so, and I've been using that same way that they've taught me to help them and how they help support my clients because they can really identify with with people that come in that have really significant traumas and that have told their story for decades Hmm. maybe and and now it's just time to let's the story maybe keeps it stuck I don't know this is I'm just saying from my experience retelling the story can feel comfortable in a way and instead of Let's look at what it feels like if we can transform that story into part of our wisdom. So we'll do, well, the horse will be present and 
support this in an, in an energetic way through the, like a collective electromagnetic field, I feel. And so do you want to do a little sample, Laura? Yeah, let's do it. You do? Sure. Okay. <laughs> we don't need a horse, but a horse is great, but we can do it <laughs> Like, a, Do you have a horse there in the background? <laughs> well, they're, they're in the pasture right out my window, so that's okay. Okay. So if you get sit, kind of get grounded where yeah. you're sitting, notice your feet on the floor, the clothes on your skin. Notice the things you can hear. And then start to bring the awareness of your external body inside. And so your breath will start to move up and down your spinal column, connecting you to the ground, connecting you to the sky. And when you're ready, I'd like you to give this breath permission to land in a space in your body that's asking for healing. A layer of healing that's ready to surface and support you going forward. Have you located a spot? Yeah. Okay. So go ahead and keep breathing into that area of your body, sending it oxygen and awareness. Intentionally letting it know it's, it's going to have an opportunity to speak. So now ask this energetic part of you to step out in front of you for just a moment so we can take a look at it. This is a part of you. We can't get rid of parts of our energy. This is the energetic form that you're here with on Earth. And as this part of you is showing itself in front of you with your eyes closed, can you tell us what it looks like? And, um, it's kind of, it's like a green blob that's like stretching and contracting, like pulsing. Uh-huh. Does it have a texture? It's kind of long and slimy, but then it bubbles up in the middle. Okay. Does it have a smell? It 
Seems kind of funky. Okay. And so ask this, what do you want to ask it? Uh, what it needs from me. What it needs from you, okay. What does it say? Softness. Softness. Why does it need softness from you? So that's the only way to heal. That's good to give you another another way to understand softness. Showing like openness. Uh-huh. Expansive. And resting. And is it starting to transform into another? Yeah, it got, got much f- like flatter uh-huh. and um, stopped pulsing and got really still. Uh-huh. Ask it why it's it's still with you. In this form, anyway. Seems like it's just saying that it's a part of me. That we've always been together. So if this is a part of you that still contains trauma, what does it need to heal and transform from the trauma into something that will serve you going forward? Does I have to work with it? Mm.
And so what does that look like? Ask it, what does that look like? So you have a very clear understanding of how to work with it. To befriend, to befriend Mm -hmm. it. To befriend it. So what happens when you befriend your trauma? What are you leaving behind? Or letting go of? Seems like a a story. Ah, a story. What wants to take the place of the story? Feels like um, uh, a not knowing. And so in that not knowing, What does that offer you? Possibility. Possibility. So letting go of the story is offering you possibility. Mm-hmm. So when you're ask it now to transform into the energetic form of possibility that will support you going forward. It already has. It already has. What does Mm -hmm. it look like? Um, It's a lot of energy Mm -hmm. and a upward kind of lifting Mm -hmm. balloon. What color? Red. Uh Uh-huh. And when you're ready, you can invite it back into your body. And then let that anchor in your body with your breath. Connecting all parts of yourself as one energetic being. And when you're ready, you open your eyes. Okay. Mm-hmm. And be back in the 3D world. <laughs> <laughs> right? Wow. <laughs> yeah. So, so how is that experience for you working in the quantum field? That's where horses work. Mm. 
Yeah, that was beautiful. That was a very powerful. Um, it's, it reminded me of some work that I've done with somatic therapy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very similar. I can't think of the word right now. Okay, but, well, uh, that's okay. You're just kind of I, I, <laughs> spaced out. <laughs> right, you're right. That's okay. No, but okay. Um, yeah, it's just, just the body and the energy have so much to tell me. And um, I feel much lighter. It's really beautiful. Yeah. You know, it goes with this quantum physics philosophy around transformational presence coaching that, which is where we can't create or destroy energy, we can only transform it. And so I think one of the things that I've done as well is we try to get rid of something mm-hmm. that isn't, isn't, is the trauma, but actually we can't get rid of our whole self, our higher self, our soul doesn't want to get rid of parts of ourself. So if we become in this battle of within ourselves, where if we just notice what isn't working anymore energetically in the body, then take a look at it. Well, why are you still here? What do I need to learn from this? Yeah. And then ask it to transform and then bring it back in the body where we can feel less fragmented, I guess, maybe is a word. There's less resistance to that healing process. Yeah. I love that. I love asking it, you know, there's so much information there. I remember the word was focus, uh, focusing. (laughs) So it was similar practice and somatic therapy. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. And that's beautiful. Like you were saying earlier, you know, combining different modalities and seeing where these, these different practices align and, and cross over, you know? Mm-hmm. So there's, um, while you're still, you know, maybe getting situated a little bit, one of the other things that, that horses want to talk about predator and prey with people that have trauma, I guess our risk we're always, it's because we are the prey of a predator, right? And so horses live in, Linda Kohanov, who I told you was one of my teachers, she identified five major roles of herd animals. And well, or I guess she brought it out into this coaching type of framework. But there's leader, which is this leader energy, which is inspirational, curious kind of energy. There's dominant energy, which is protective energy. And sets boundaries, protecting, setting boundaries, safety, creates safety in the herd. And there's the sentinel, which is the watcher, right? And the watching energy is the kind of energy that the other horses can eat and sleep because there's somebody that's watching out. And then there's the nurture companion energy, which is this the animals taking care of each other, grooming each other, raising the young and releases oxytocin, which is the physiological hormone that, you know, one herd member will give their life for another herd member. And they also have predatory energy, even though they're prey animals. And we've misused the predator role in human society in such a way that it becomes like a four-letter word almost to talk about having predatory energy. But when it's used correctly in the way it's meant to in cultures, in, in as let's, we're just for now using um, prey animals for the example, the predator in the predator energy in a, a group of prey animals removes what doesn't serve the whole group. So, and then also predator energy, the stallion will use predator energy to make sure his 
no other stallions can come and breed with his mares. He will kick out the male horses after a while, and that's predator culling energy. So he keeps the mares as his own. They have to find their own mares for the best genetics. And so when the, the good of the whole remains at the core of the value of our system, then that's the reason that we have predatory energy. So in that exercise that you just did, there's a part of energy inside of you that wasn't serving your highest good. And so you ask it to come out, cull it like a predator. You culled it out of you for a moment. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you said, look, what do you want? Mm-hmm. <laughs> what, do we, what do we need from each other here? In order to transform, you asked it to remove what isn't serving you, transform into something that does, and then it can come back into your body. And you were using that's predator, the healthy predator energy. I like that. Does that make sense? Yeah, Mm -hmm. I like that. And I like the reframing of not dismissing predator energy, but recognizing its use. So one of the other ways that horses help, I mean, it's so fascinating because they have no issue with becoming a predator at any moment. So this one guy... One time I was working with, he was a lawyer. Well, more than I've worked with a lot of lawyers, but lots of lawyers. <laughs> mm. It's it's really interesting. And this one guy, anyway, he comes to me and he's like, I am, he was like a prosecuting attorney for um, a county, right? Law and order SBU kind of like prosecutor, like way up high in some important city, I'll just say. So he said, I am a predator. I want to get, and I want to get the predators off the street. That's what I do. I call the bad guys off the street. He said, but when I get home, I don't know how to take, I don't know how to handle my teenage boys because with teenage boys, he has to set boundaries and be dominant, right? And not call them, not say, you better do this or else. But he just wants to say, this is how you become a good man with setting boundaries. So I had him work with this horse in the arena. So we were working at Liberty and he was asking the horse to this horse to go around in a circle. He stood in the middle and the horse was to run around him in a circle to the left and to the right, go both ways. And then he has a, he has a horse whip and he asked the horse to go around and it set, set up this whole exercise. So every time he asked the, asked the horse to go to the left, he started chasing the horse with the whip. Luckily it was a nice horse. <laughs> yeah. And the horse was right. And the horse was initiating it anyway. And then every time he asked the horse to go to the right, he could stay standing in the middle and the horse would go to the right. And so, and he's like, I don't know why I cannot stop chasing this horse when it, when he goes to the left. I said, so, oh, let me see. So I went in with him and by God, I wanted, I was starting to chase the horse with the whip going to the left. <laughs> and so I realized what was happening was this horse was, initiating predatory energy is chasing dominant energy is standing your ground. Yeah. And so by both of us, I mean, this is the fun part of this, this work, but you just, you learn so many things um, all the time. And so by doing that, and then the horse would, would came in and he's like lowering his head, looking and chewing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it. This is the predatory energy. This is dominant energy. And then he could pave this pathway inside of himself this is how I need to be at work. This is how I need to be with my boys. And it was so cool. You know, two hours working with a horse and he like sorted out all Got of it. this. That was so cool. Yeah. Really, that was really cool. so cool. One time I had a lawyer and um, this person could not stop chasing the horse with the whip, no matter what. They were uh, like 
anyway, raised by wolves, <laughs> I'll just say. Okay. And so I put a um, platform in the middle of the arena and I said, you cannot get off the platform. You have to stay here and, and get the horse to do what you want without moving off this platform. And that was really cool. And the horse would like taunt them even. I mean, it's, I mean, this is for like, I don't want, like, you don't have to have this person that I was talking to the last one. She had a lot of horse experience, but, um, so, and the horses never bring on more than you can, than you can handle. And, and then I, you know, work, you sometimes you work with minis and they're, well, actually they're a little more difficult than big horses to work with <laughs> as well. They, they tricky. They're really tricky. They're funny. Can you give us maybe one or two more um, success stories like that? Those are such great examples. And then I want to ask you um, to just share with folks how they can work with you. Okay. Well, I was I had a client who was here, and she, it's okay to share the story because she already she she already did. But um, I'm in public, but I just I won't say her name. But she was she had a son that got killed, and she was really had not been able to get over his death. He was 17 in a car accident and it probably had been, I don't know, six, seven years or so. And she had found me and she came to spend, um, I do private three-day workshops here. Usually three-day intensives. Three days is a good good timing to come. And um, so she came and we were working on uh, what was happening with this grief of her, of her son. And again, she was trying to get rid of the grief instead of transform the grief. So we did a lot of, we did a lot of work with that, um, transforming the grief in, into what wanted to stay with her. Well, the, my mare was acting really strange, like the whole time, my mare Halsey and would like leave us and go out in the pasture. There's a bigger pasture by the woods and, and, and whinny at us. And I'm like, I don't know what's going on with that horse. She's acting so weird, but I just worked with the other horses because she really never was involved in the, in with us for, for those days. And then I looked out my window the last morning of my room and I saw her standing on the dam to the pond out in the, in the woods. And I'm like, what is she doing over there now? This mare, right? Yeah. <laughs> and so, so then the last exercise we were going to do together is called um, my heart's or your heart's desire. And we go through um, a series of body scans and little mindfulness exercises to really anchor. What is my heart's desire here? What am I taking with me? And so I did that with a client and again, nothing like really, it's like, she goes, I don't know what it is. I don't know. And this is the last day. And I felt a little, well, I don't really understand either what all is happening. And she said, I'm just going to go walk around in the pasture. So she goes in the pasture and my mare comes over, Halsey, off out of the woods. And she starts to follow. The lady started to follow the mare. She led her into the woods. And oh, I'm going to cry about it. And so in about 15 minutes later, she comes back out of the forest and she's carrying the skull of a, of a cow. And she's running across the pasture with the horse, carrying the skull. And I'm like, well, this is really weird, right? (laughs) And and she'd never been in the woods or anything, but the horse led her to the skull. And and I'm like, what? She goes, this is it. This is it. This is my heart's desire. And I'm like, okay. And she goes, I know it sounds really weird, but my son and I used to collect skulls together because she was a, um, a speech therapist and had all this, like, this is where this muscle connects to that and all scientific. So they would collect skulls. And she said, he's been here all along with me. He's always with me. And I need to just remember that he's just always with me. He really hasn't died. He's with me. And this is, and she's like, can I take the skull? I'm like, yeah, she took the skull back on the airplane. And then, <laughs> and, um, 
and the horse was leading us. I think I think he was working through the horse to for her the whole time. Yeah. To find the skull in the in the forest, which was so just like you can't explain it. You cannot explain that. Nothing's random, right? He brought her out there. Right. <laughs> to, to say, I'm here. I'm always here. I'm working through whatever channel. Mm to stay with you. And, and so our, you know, our figment of imagination of what the world is really like, I just don't think we really understand everything, you know, what, what is really going on out there. The first time that happened to me, I was with my horse Dorado in Costa Rica, and I was working with this family in a little clearing in the rainforest. And we'd been working for a few days there and just like on family dynamics and setting boundaries and being heard in the family, like real kind of logical things like that with the horse. And then there was this big giant bee about as big as a ping pong ball that was there for all the days. And, and they live in these colonies of 10. So they're not really aggressive because if they sting, they die. Um, but if they sting you, it's really, really hurts. Well, this was the third day with this with this bee. And he was like, we're standing in a circle deep, talking about the day. The horse is standing there. He's loose in the arena with us. And we're just having a little meeting. And here's this bee. Bzz, bzz, bzz. And I'm like, I'm just going to have to kill it because I didn't want to sting the kid. Right. Yeah. So I went to smack this bee down and Dorado, the horse, stepped in front of between me and the bee I, and grabbed the bee by his forehead, you could say. And bounce the bee like a ping pong ball on his forehead, trots over to the edge of the rainforest and bounces the bee in the forest. And then he comes back. What? And, and, he's, and he's staring at me and I'm going, okay, did you guys just see that? And the parents are like, I don't know. What did you see? And the kid's like, and the kid's like, Dorado saved us from the bee. And I'm like, and then Dorado's staring me straight in the face. And, uh, and I'm like, oh no, I think he saved the bee from me. And then he lowered his head, looked and chewed and walked away. Uh, like, yeah, I saved the bee from you. And that that was my point where I'm like, there is way more going on here again than than this, you know, old <laughs> ICU nurse realizes is happening. And so it's just this openness to all this potential that we have access to when we really start listening. Yeah. And, um, and that was the premise I, after I wrote a book called Ponies Girl Parables, and it's, and that's the first parable of the bee. And there's seven stories about things that horses taught me about life and, and through working with, with people, all the beautiful gifts that I've learned. Anyway. Tell us again the, the name of the book. Ponies Girl Parables. And we can get that off your website yes right off the websites on amazon mm -hmm. and on amazon okay your sites you have two two websites you're working off of or is there one no just one one is econicity.com econicity.com okay yeah e-p-o-n-i-c-i-t-y e -E and we'll link that in the in the show notes for people who want to read more about you and this really powerful uh, feels so mystical work yeah. <laughs> or yeah. maybe you know folks that are around horses might look at them a little differently you know <laughs> like maybe i maybe i should be listening to these horses a little more you know where i'm where i am uh, up here in the western catskills there, there's a lot of horses around so yeah i think that when we're open to 
listening through a different lens, seeing through a different lens and listening through a different lens and the potential for our capacity to connect with each other and to another species is is really infinite you know and surprising too yeah yeah it's really surprising that's so beautiful i think that's a, a perfect place to close is there anything that i didn't ask you deborah that you feel is important to share with our audience about you or horses or the work that you do no, that's that's good. I think it's good. <laughs> they saw it in action. I can tell you all I'm feeling really light. And um, yeah, I definitely, I felt that work, even though we're, we're not together. So thank you for using me as a, a sample. Uh, I, um, I got some bonus coaching from our chat today. So <laughs> some quantum, t- quantum um, physics. Quantum physics. That is amazing. Thank you, Deborah, so much. You're welcome. As we buzz around the busy world, it becomes clear there are billions of paths. As we buzz around the busy world, we will appear in other people's photographs. As we speed through the centuries, we will collide and the light will bend. We will be accidentally immortalized in someone else's land.